By the way, why is it called skeleton? I don't know. Oh, oh, I know, I know. It's because it's the bobsled, but it's only like the bones of the bobsled. So it's without the little. Yeah, because it looks like a little piece of junk that they're sliding on. They're like going 80 miles an hour head first on a tube, and you you look like you're riding. Like one of those dollies that you would move a couch on. <laughs> what if, like, Whose idea was this? What if there was a know, huge mistake awesome. in that? It would be the most violent mishap in the history of any sport. Oh, yeah. Like, going that fast, that, just out in the open, at 80 miles an hour, like, if he hit a wall, he would snap his neck instantly. You would be dead instantly. Or if you just didn't make the turn and you went flying off, yeah. you would fly forever, dude. I didn't snap your neck. Three Dogs North is an attempt to objectify the subjective with little violence as possible. The following has been torn from its origins in space and time and put entirely at your disposal. So yeah, how was preaching today? You did a great job, man. It was good. Thank you. Oh, it was really good. Yeah, it was good. Um, I don't know, it's a oh, weird feeling because, yeah. like, uh, honestly, I had probably more than twice that much stuff, and I cut out a good bit of it that I had written out last night, and uh, I don't know, it's just, it's a difficult crowd, not so much because I was nervous, but because you feel like you're nervous for the wrong reason, you know? Because this is your one shot to preach to, you know, the deacons every year have one spot where they preach to the community at a morning mass. Everybody knows that. I've been here for six years. I've heard all the deacons preach every year. And you can't help but think, like, oh, there are some good ones that you remember, you know. Or the guys that you think are going to be good, you always want to, you know, make sure that you're attentive that day to the homily. But all that stuff, it just doesn't matter, because at the end of the day, even the ones I do remember, I can't remember what they said. Yeah. Right. You know? Yeah. And that's the nature of preaching, is like, you, you think of all these words, you say these words, and, um, they're just a, you're, they're just a small part of all the preaching a person will hear over their entire life. How much more in a community like this are you going to have every day? Right. Um, so what's the purpose of the homily? It's to, help people enter into the mysteries that you're celebrating that day, to encourage them in their faith, to you know, follow Jesus more intimately than they did before. But a lot of times like you know, people won't even tell that it's your it's because of your homily that that happens, you know. Yeah. It's all an action of the Holy Spirit. Mm-hmm. So I had to kind of call out all these things where and even this morning but right before the homily. I just pray that the psalm of blessed are the poor in spirit. Yeah. Like, just make me totally poor, almost unworthy servant, you know. I'm not trying to impress anybody. That stuff doesn't matter. That was what the homily was about anyway. Yeah, that was what the homily was about. Like, all that stuff is pointless at the end of the day. I like your point in it, though. It kind of had a a morbid feel at first, but it was a a solid point about, like, listen, no matter who you are, what what you do, a thousand years from now, like, your bones aren't even going to be around, more than likely. You know, yeah. you're just going to go back to go back to being dust. You know, whatever you say or do, 
you know, whatever the the greatness of your life is, ultimately it comes down to, you know, Christ and what he is he has done. Um, and even that question of like, with that reality coming, with death coming, what is the point? You know, what is the point of this? So without Christ, I don't know how people answer mm-hmm. that question at all. So I thought it was good. Um, it reminded me of something of Monsignor Lyle, when we had him the other, I think that was last week. And he said that he was reading a little bit from the life of Therese and how a couple of sisters were overheard saying, like, oh, she's just, she was like a decent nun at best, you know, in her life. No one is ever going to know her name. I'll smack them. How, how can you say that? That blows my mind. Yeah. It's seriously incredible. But I thought Monsignor Lila just had this great point from it. Just that realization that we have we have to come to realize that more than likely, very few people in the world are going to know our name. Mm-hmm. You know, even as a priest, even as a public person, hopefully you're going to be loved by the community you serve. But think about how small of a number yeah. that is. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know? It, it kind of reminds me, too, when uh, there's a part in St. Faustina's uh, diary on the Divine Mercy, she talks about how um, people should realize that Christ loves them, loves you so much that if it was just you, the entire history of the world was just you, he would come and do it all again. Hmm. Like all of his suffering and passion, um, you know, even his, his death and everything that he did, he would do it if it was just to save you. So that's kind of intense to think about. Yeah. That's a, a crazy, radical love. Um, but you know, what? actually what you hit on today in the homily was something that we, that's what we study in our modern philosophy class, is what it was like before Christ came and people were striving for immortality. And it was literally doing great deeds and speaking great words so that you could live forever. Mm-hmm. And like the heart yeah. and the mind. That's literally what that that's what people would strive to do. And so then this whole uh, Christian notion that comes in of really like that doesn't matter. That doesn't matter at all. Mm-hmm. Your great your words and your deeds are not dependent on or your eternity is not dependent on your great words and your deeds. I think it's so interesting when you look now and like, how many people are so obsessed with becoming famous? And like, I want everybody to know. I heard a story. <clears throat> it was actually in another homily that I heard. Father Mike Schmidt. He said that um, there's like they interviewed a second grade class, um, and you know, back in the day, they they used to ask, uh, "What do you want to be when you grow up?" And everyone would say, "Astronaut, or fireman." He said that the number one answer today was, "I want to be famous." Like, not I want to be excellent at something, yeah. but I want to be famous. <laughs> like, you can see Christianity is contra to, to that idea. I don't need to be famous to have worth, to have eternal life, to live forever. But you can see as that is sort of declining and they're reverting back to a more paganistic society, but certainly less Christian. Everybody wants to be famous. Mm-hmm. Their worth, their happiness is dependent upon living forever. I mean, that's part of being a natural being. Mm-hmm. We want to live forever. That's our, our natural life cycle, our natural process to procreate. It's also interesting that people used to be famous exclusively for being excellent at something. Like yeah. The greatest actor yeah. or the greatest, you know, sports dude. 
Yeah. Or something. Or like a great statesman or politician. But now you can just be famous for being famous. Like the Kim Kardashians and the Paris Hiltons and uh, the Snookies. Like, what did you actually do? You're only famous because people know who you are. It's uh, so strange. Yeah. And, and having all those people like that, it makes it, maybe it makes it more attainable or seem more attainable. But like, if you're just in the right place at the right time, someone will ask you to do a show about you or like record a podcast of you just sitting around and talking and then you become famous. <laughs> what a bunch of losers <laughs> yeah, would do that, dude. Idiots. God. I think the key, though, dude, is like the fact that... Um, Okay, yeah, being famous is good. You having people know who you are, that's fine. Maybe that that was my point is that maybe that's all that's all you had before death was, you know, undone by Christ. Like you you could just like in the Jewish religion, right? It was it was the firstborn child was consecrated to the Lord because that represented you continuing to exist. It was your your heir, you know, the person that had the same name as you. Yeah to keep your memory alive. That was the closest you could get to living forever. Every human being wants to live forever. You want, you're made for infinite goodness, and infinite pleasure, happiness, whatever, joy. Um, and so we try to get at it, and that maybe, you know, people, will, people are willing to give up temporal goods in order to have a higher good being famous, you know? Like an Olympic athlete is willing to give up all sorts of things, relationships, food that they like, spare time to get that one goal. But everybody knows that winning Olympic gold, you're still going to end up some old dude or lady on the Winter Olympics coverage talking to Matt Lauer about how great it was back then. You know, like it's, it's going to go away. What we offer in Christ is something so much better. On the outside, it looks like, oh, you're just an average nun or an average layman or average priest. Didn't really do that much, you know, had a family, but nothing out of the ordinary. That's the St. Paul's point, like the foolishness of the cross is the wisdom of God, you know. That going into whatever dark situation that you're called to enter into or sacrifice you're asked to offer is worth it because that actually touches eternity. Yeah. That will actually endure through all time, space, death, annihilation, that stuff will stay. And I think it's simpler than we give it, I don't know, than, than we put it in our own terms sometimes. So when you're talking about that foolishness of the cross, that seemingly ordinary life, just like, yeah, for most people, what does that look like? It means trying to raise your family like to the best of your ability. Yeah. Just trying to be a parish priest to the best of your ability, you know, being there. Um, whenever anyone calls or, um, you know, as you get older, like, if you lose your parents or whatever, like, being there for them in that process, it's simple in a sense, and there's nothing, again, seemingly grand about it, but because you can redeem it through Christ, those things are, are huge. They have an impact on human history in that sense. But back to what you were saying about the Olympics, I, I think what's cool about the Olympics, you see it more so in any than in any other sporting event, I think, is that you do have, certainly, I'm sure some of the athletes are there for the fame around it, but then some are there just truly because they love and are driven to do 
what they're doing. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And it's an opportunity to represent mm -hmm. their country. But it's interesting watching. It's like when you hear those stories, it's so much, it appeals at such a deeper level. I think it kind of strikes you when you see it. Mm -hmm. There was a story I read. I don't remember the guy's name, but he was a U.S. guy, skier. And I think he won the gold, even. And he just lived this boring life. Like, seemingly, you know, quotation mark, boring life. You know, I, he was early 20s, he had gotten married, had, I think, had a little girl, and was, like, planning for his career down the road, knew that being an Olympian wasn't going to last forever. <laughs> mm -hmm. And literally, this article was about, this guy's gotten no news coverage. Yeah. Because, in the media's eyes, he's so boring. Yeah. He just, like, wants to live his life well. But he was a, he was a gold? Yeah, he, he won the gold medal? medal. Are you yeah. serious? In what? I, some type of skiing. Dude. I can't remember. I can't remember what, but like just this solid guy yeah. that you know wanted to like use his gifts and represent his country well, and no one has heard of him yeah. because he doesn't have much flash to him, you know. Yeah. And uh, so I think in the Olympics more so than anything else, that's part of their goodness. Is that I I think you still see that mm -hmm. more so than anywhere else. I think there are the athletes there. That whether or not they're pursuing it or or just like soak up that that fame that they get from it more so than others, which might not necessarily be bad in mm -hmm. in some ways, um, but I don't know. Just stories like yeah, that you, are you get the you get the impression that that guy is yeah. going to hang up his gold medal, right, and know that his happiness and his life purpose isn't wrapped up right in this piece of metal. Yeah, that it's going to end up you know, lava in the core of the earth when everything explodes, just like everything else, yeah. you know? That has no enduring value whatsoever. It's <laughs> right. just shiny. Mm -hmm. um, but what it represents is an achievement, you know, a life achievement that it, he can compartmentalize as part of a larger purpose in life, you know? Right he on. was given the gift of sliding down a mountain on skis very fast. Yeah. And, yeah. He, you know, it was a way he could glorify God, honor his country, you know, and entertain people. Yeah. Those right. are all good things, but... And find enjoyment in himself. Oh, obviously, yeah, yeah. there's some enjoyment yeah. for himself as well. But what's much more enduring? Having children and, and training them to be productive and, you know, good people. Yeah. Um, that's a heck of a lot more enduring. Oh, yes. Why is there something rather than nothing? How about night fever, huh? Guy was telling me some story that, uh, so he set up, you know, we set up the adoration and everything. It was cool being the deacon for exposition and everything. Oh, yeah, did you enjoy uh, that? Yeah, and deaconing for the mass beforehand, too, for the bishop. So, yeah, it was cool. So we set up 9 o'clock p.m. exposition of the cathedral. And then after, uh, so Matt Marshall was my acolyte. Yeah, yeah. For exposition and we were leaving and I was going to go help like the street people, you know, street ministers to hand out candles to people and ask them to come in the church and pray and whatnot. And as soon as we walked out of the cathedral, <laughs> there was this these two dudes standing outside and I thought that they were there for night because like someone had directed them and they were just going in the wrong door. But the guy he just looks at me and me and Matt are both in Roman collars and he's like, uh, they told us that, um, we could stay here. We, we, there was a room we could stay in. Oh, man. And uh, they looked, you know, they weren't poorly dressed. They, they, they didn't look like they were 
like living on the streets for weeks or anything like that. Um, but we're like, no, you can't, you can't just sleep here. I mean, right. there's no, there's the rectory and the cathedral. There's no, there's not a shelter. Yeah. But I thought, okay, well, obviously we're set up. You know, we have the places that people can stay for the night. But their story was that they couldn't afford the Amtrak ticket to get out to New York uh, for Saturday night, but they bought one for Sunday night because it was cheaper. So they just needed to stay. They were evicted from their apartment on the south side. There was two guys and this girl, and they were all from Puerto Rico. The girl couldn't speak English. Um, fortunately, I, I can speak Spanish, and Matt spoke a little bit. But we got their whole story, and they just needed a place to stay for the night. Well, we were looking around at shelters, and they were all super far away, because they needed to get to Amtrak in the morning, yeah. pretty early, to get for their, their <clears throat> train thing. So we were trying to get them in the YMCA, but the YMCA was like a monthly thing. You can't just stay for the night at like the shelter. Uh, you know, stuff that was close by just didn't work out. And then I was like, are you guys hungry? And, you know, they hadn't eaten since morning. It was like almost 10 o'clock by that time. So we went over to Mickey D's, got in the warm air, and got them some, some food to eat. They started opening up a little bit more. That's when they told us they got evicted. They couldn't find work and whatnot. Um, and it was this younger guy, the older guy, they met working, I guess, as day laborers. And then this girl from Puerto Rico who was in the country for like less than a month. Um, it was his girlfriend, and she'd just come up. And they're, they're going to try to like get out to New York where the guy's brother lives and try to start something. you know. But just like no plans, you yeah. know. And I, <laughs> I'm thinking... What do we do here? You know, your lives are kind of a mess. You don't have a plan. You got not a lot going for you. You spent your last $300 on tickets out to New York. And it doesn't sound like there's that, that much out there for you anyway. But Matt, being the kind of eternal, innocent, guileless, nice yeah. guy, he offers to put him up in a hotel for the night. There's a Red Roof Inn that's yeah. pretty cheap right there, like near Michigan Avenue. And... uh so we put him up in the hotel and everything. No way. Uh, it took a long time, but uh, we were able to close out the account so they couldn't, like, you know, Matt wasn't endangering himself financially right. or whatever. Um, but it was just kind of like a lot of work, but at the same time I was feeling like, what is God asking me to do at this moment? Yeah. You know, Yeah. here are his children, <laughs> cold. They hadn't slept for two days. Because last night they were trying to find a place to stay, and they just stayed in a restaurant all night, yeah. a 24-hour restaurant where the bouncer wakes people up so that they don't sleep there, you know? Oh, really? So they were just, like, bleary-eyed, freezing cold, uh, nowhere to stay. So with the gospel mandate, you know, give me shelter. Yeah. Give me clothing, yeah. stuff like that. So I felt like that's that's what we can do. Yeah. You know, we're not rich people. We can't we can't fix your problem, give you a job or anything, but right. we can at least give you a night's sleep and a yeah. shower. So Matt, Matt volunteered to do that. So we got back to the cathedral at like maybe 11, a little bit before 11, and 11.30 was night prayer. And Is that when I first saw you? That 11? was when you first saw me. Oh my gosh. And, um, Did you hear about Deacon Scott? I want to hear about that. Okay. But So basically what I did, I saw you and you're like, dude, just take some of those tea lights and walk out. Because we had the teams on the different corners yeah. that were like assigned there all night to yeah. get people to be like, oh, we're praying in the cathedral, so... You know, for peace in the streets of Chicago, just go in and, you know, the, the cathedral was full of people just praying, going to confession. It was pretty All fast. these priests, dudes. I don't know how many priests were there, like, I think there 15, was, 16? Yeah, I mean, there was, like at least, there was at least six on each side. 
Yeah, so at least 12. <clears throat> yeah. And when I was in there, every one of them had a pen of ink. Yeah. So um, I just go out to the street and I see uh, John Thorson and Nate Edquist. And I'm kind of yeah. shooting the breeze with them a little bit. And the first, literally the first guy that comes by, I'm still wearing my collar and I just, this guy's like marching by super quick, head down, smoking like the last millimeter of a cigarette. Like he's, he looks so stressed out, like yeah. typical city guy, yeah. like I'm going somewhere, it's yeah. 11 at night and yeah. I'm headed somewhere yeah. by myself. And I just said, hey, do you know what's going on in the church tonight? And he just like, as if I didn't exist, kept walking. And then I turned back to Nate and John. And no sooner did I turn back, but the guy's like running with the same intensity up to me. And he's like, what's going on in the church tonight? I was baptized <laughs> over there. What's going on? <laughs> and I'm like, oh. I like held this little candle out to him. I'm like, we're saying prayers in the church. Uh, it only takes a minute and anybody's welcome. And he's like, he just grabs the, t- <laughs> the candle out of my hand. He's like, yeah, I should probably do that. All right, thanks. And he like tosses his little butt- cigarette butt on the street. And starts walking to the cathedral. I'm like, uh, what's your name? He's like, David. I'm like, I'm Connor. It's like, good to meet you, Connor. Thanks a lot. And he just keeps walking. Like, <laughs> yeah, total silly. But it, to me, it was like the Holy Spirit was this rubber band that the guy couldn't. You know, if I hadn't said anything, I, all it took was for me to say, do you know what's happening in the church tonight? Yeah. Uh, yeah. It gave me the conviction that, you know, there's so many people out there that would do something spiritual. But no one's ever invited them it's to try. Yeah, invitation, man. Yeah, it's me an invitation. I thought about that before. Just a very simple spiritual multiplication tool is if everyone that went to Sunday mass, like, just simply invited one person back to mass during the week that wasn't going. Yeah. I mean, obviously, if everyone came, then it would double the Sunday mass attendance in in the church. Mm-hmm. But I honestly think if if each Catholic that went to Mass, like this Sunday, invited one person throughout the course of next week yeah. to go back to Mass. I mean, the numbers would be astronomical. Yeah. They would be so much higher. Because, like you said, I'm 100% convinced of that. Is all people are looking for is an invitation back. Mm-hmm. Not a combination, not getting into some... Argument about ideas. Argument about ideas, or, like, what their sins have been, or what is the sin and what isn't, like, just come back, please. Yeah. Like, yeah. you know, you, it's a family, you know, like, yeah. you, we are not right without you. Please come back. Yeah, mm-hmm. I do remember they had that, uh, that come back, come back home Catholics. Mm-hmm. Catholics come home? Yeah, yeah. Catholics come home. I go, it was Lou Holtz on there. He did awesome, though. Hey, Catholic, come on, welcome back to the Catholic Church. Yeah, get on back. Get on back. Yeah. I mean, it was pretty, it was, I thought it was really good. Yeah, it was really I thought good. it was really good. I mean, that, really that good. very simple invitation. But that personal, I mean, that's what Night Fever really does. It's like a personal one-on-one encounter with somebody. So it's not just like some broad, mm-hmm. this is a memo. Catholics, we want you to come back. You know, do, right. do, alerting all Catholics. Like, no, I want you. Please come back to the church. Well, tell it's the Scott that. story. Well, Wasn't Scott's that the guy, those guys that were in there and they were like... <clears throat> Oh, we gotta go get something. Well, maybe we'll just light a candle and take off. Oh, and well, Scott, this, is a, the, this is a different one that I have. Okay, well, this one was it was pretty cool. It was just like two normal jabrones, yeah. and they're like willing to come in and light the candle. But um, then Scott says, "Well, you guys can stay as long as you want. I mean, you yeah. don't have to leave right away." He's like, "No, nah, I gotta get something to eat." 
And they're standing there, and then the other guy goes, actually, this music's pretty chill. I might hang out for a little bit. <laughs> and they just sat there and, and prayed, you know? Yeah, yeah. This music's pretty chill. <laughs> this music's pretty chill. And it was. It was yeah. super chill. That's awesome. I had a guy, so I just sat in the back for a little while because I was organizing the street evangelist. And I had a guy um, who was, I just as he was walking out, and I just felt, you know, I should probably stand up and say something to this guy, just say thank you for coming and introduce myself. And he just reeked of booze, like super, super strong. And you have to, because the Blessed Sacrament is exposed, so you try to get like really close and make it this intimate moment, you know, like, so, and you're not yelling during yeah. the cathedral. And so it's just like right there. This is Jesus right here. <laughs> Let's be mindful of that. You know, just like really, I don't know, really brought it in. But I had him. I just invited him to sit down. And he said that he actually was raised a Jew and um, is now playing as in a band at a Protestant church on Sundays. And then he like before he left, he wrote an invitation like. Come to my concert, essentially. He's like, yeah, dude, I'm over there at whatever, whatever church every Sunday, so come and check it out. Like, we're pretty good. Like, what? People go to that church for the band. Dogs go to heaven. Goats go to hell. Yeah, and here's the thing. What's the payoff there? Right, There's almost exactly. no payoff. Exactly. Because you don't, you know, you think this is going to lift this guy out of poverty or really change how he's living right, his life, right. or maybe he's addicted to drugs. I had one guy come up to me at, on the street just for 20 minutes, talking to every single person that went by. Just made a rest of it. I just felt convicted that anybody that comes by might say yes. So, yeah. I'm just gonna... so I said, hey, do you want to come say prayers in the, in the church? He's like, no, thanks, man. I'm, I'm a Baptist. Um, but maybe you could pray for me. Uh, just pray that I'd be free of my drug addiction. And he was walking super intensely, too. Oh, I can imagine. And... Uh, I said, can I pray for you right now? So I just kind of laid my hand on his head and, and prayed for him and gave yeah. him a little blessing. And, and by the end, he was kind of like, all right, let's, let's go. I'm almost sure he was going to buy drugs. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Um, so what's the payoff there? You right. Know, I gave that guy the time of day, dignity, yeah. treated him like a son of God. Yeah. Um, but what difference does that make? Yeah. And that's, that's the whole thing. Is like, you just trust that this is the next right thing to do, the next right. action that God's asking me to take. Is this and that in itself feeds you? Yeah. This is what Christ is telling me to do right now. You you always know the next step to take. Yeah, always. Like if you are living any type of a spiritual life, you might not know the whole plan of your life or what you know God wants down the road, but He will always give you the next step to take. Yeah. That's why I turn off the radio in the car sometimes because yeah. in, in the car yeah. I, I feel like I'm I'm driving an hour to get somewhere to do something, but I'm not even sure where I'm supposed to go or what I'm supposed to do. I'll just turn off the radio and just like, you know, not even listen half the time, just be quiet, shut yeah. up. And and a lot of times the answer is there, you know. Mm -hmm. Okay, yeah, I'll go do that. Yeah. We gotta go. Yeah, All we right. certainly do. Very good. Good PCAST. The PCAST. Yeah, solid stuff. Solid stuff. Dude, like P to the C to the ass. <laughs> 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 Three Dogs North are Juice, Seabisk, and Michael Metz. Conversations have been edited to sound smarter.
audio and transcripts of this episode are exclusive property of Mundelein Seminary and may not be rebroadcast without the express written consent of Major League Baseball. And clear down.